If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about Take That. We're talking about games where you get to mess with your opponents. You get to play some cards and make them cry a little bit, even if it's only on the inside. And we're talking to Jess and Steph Nguyen from Just Cause Games. Ladies, welcome to the show. Hi, Gabe. Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to be on. Yeah, so excited to have y'all on. I was telling you before uh, we hit record, I've been doing this almost 300 episodes at this time, and I've never done an episode about Take That. And uh, so it's, I guess now's the time, and today's the day. And yeah. I'm just excited to talk to y'all about it. Y'all have got a really interesting game called Hot Potatoes, which is all <laughs> about messing with your friends and, and trying to pull up at the hot potato, was it pull up at the potato party with the hottest group of <laughs> potatoes? Anyway, I'm butchering yeah. that. I'll let y'all explain it a little bit better <laughs> than that in a minute. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's, a, it's such an interesting mechanism because if most people think about like their their experience with games, especially growing up, I would say the vast majority of the games that we play, especially as kids, are take that games. Uno, Sorry, Monopoly in a lot of ways is a take that game. Like there's so many oh, games yeah. that are just, the, you know, the mass market games that are messing with your opponents, you know, sometimes better, sometimes worse uh, because of it. And so I feel like this is a mechanism that, you know, a lot of people are aware of. But at the same time, kind of in the modern hobby side of things, there's not that many take that games. You know, people are very aware of take that me mechanisms. They're kind of shying away from it. And so I'm just excited to talk to y'all about how do you bridge the gap? How do you kind of find the fine balance of, of doing it in a way that's still fun? It doesn't feel like, oh, I hate this game because I, I just worked for 20 minutes and now it all got taken away. Yeah. Like there's so many things that you can do poorly. And so anyway, excited to dive into all, all of those things. But before we get into it, who are y'all? How'd y'all get into the game design and working together? I know y'all are cousins, and so it's kind of a family experience. I'll tell you what, Jess, let's start with you, and then Steph, we'll, we'll go over to you. Sure. Um, I actually think it might be easier if Steph starts, because it is <laughs> she's the creator and the designer of the game, and then I just copped on when she brought <laughs> the game to a family game night, and she was like, I'm working on this game, and she brought like her very first prototype, which is like absolutely hilarious. She like photoshopped an image of Shanning Tatum onto a potato. And she's like, and all these other like random- We call him Channing Potatum. <laughs> <laughs> and she brought all these potatoes to uh, like um, images of potatoes. And she's like, can you rank these on how sexy or hot yeah. they are? And I'm sitting here looking at this like Photoshop Shanning Potato. I'm like, Seven, seven yeah. and a half. <laughs> She's like, I'd still do it. <laughs> He's like, he could get it. Um, and then so she like, and so when she brought this game and I'm playing it out, I'm like, this game is amazing. Like, I love it. It's so cool. Like, this is like, this is an awesome project you're working on stuff. Like, this is so cool. And then later on, she's um, she was like working on it in the like a few months go by and she's like I really need someone on the team just to help me out. Like, just with a lot of things like who can kickstart a game. On their themselves. own. Yeah. Like yeah. if you look at Kickstarter teams, they're like five, six people. Yeah. And so she's just looking for some support. And I graduated with a business degree um, in April 2020. So I'm like, it's it's a tough job market out there <laughs> and no one's hiring. So then I'm like, um, I've been working on projects myself. And then I was like, oh, I'd love to like hop on this. And it was like a true honor that she wanted to work with me. And we're family. So it's it's awesome to like be 
there when she first showed us the game and kind of watched her journey in the last few months. And then so I hopped onto the project and I've been supporting since. And it's been, if I thought that game was cool back then, it's <laughs> definitely, definitely we've got a lot of playtesting done. It's And it's so much, like it's unreal now. It's, <laughs> I would say it's the best game ever, but I'm not biased. <laughs> She's a little biased, yeah. <laughs> but we, I think right, we yeah. have taken the game to a place where we feel very confident about it. But yeah, like maybe you can jump in on yours and then I can jump back in. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I'm Stephanie <laughs> and I graduated from toy design in New York, Fashion Institute of Technology in 2020. So very turbulent time. Uh, and I actually interned at Spin Master Games while I was there in the summer of 2019. And that's kind of where this love for games started for me. I've always loved playing games, but I never really felt like I could design one myself. But being there and being exposed to all of these awesome designers and like the projects that they were working on was very inspiring for me. And then also we had a course in my last semester of school where we did a lot of game design. And then I really understood how to take that from the initial idea and like see it through to an actual playable game. And then after I graduated, I had to come, I was here in Vancouver as soon as the pandemic started. So uh, there isn't a huge board game like market or not market here, but there aren't a lot of companies in this area and like toy design companies. A lot of them are either on the East coast or they're in the U S. So I thought, you know, this might be a great time to really try something for myself. When you're working for a company, you make a lot of compromises in design and like you're very restricted budget wise. So there are a lot of edits that you have to make with that kind of stuff. So I thought, why not, why not try one for myself? Yeah. And like, see where that goes. Yeah. Very cool. And that's one thing I've talked to a lot of new designers about is that, okay, they'll tell me, hey, I want to get into the industry. And not necessarily for themselves. They're not necessarily saying, oh, I want to start a publishing company and go full-time and, and design games and publish games and sign other games. They just want to get into the industry somehow. But one of the things I'll tell them is, take one of your games and make a small one. You know, Do something 18 cards. Do something that fits in like a little mint 10 or something like that. Do it through the Game Crafter. But mm -hmm. do the entire thing. You know, put a little yes. bit of money into it. If you can, you know, do a thousand dollar Kickstarter where you're mm -hmm. just trying to get 50 backers or something like that. Uh, just do something very, very small, but that's project management, start to finish, prove that you can, you know, take a design from an idea through the prototyping stage to the playtesting stage, through uh, the development stage, through printing and the art and the, all the stuff at the end, you know. And then when you go to a company and you say, hey, I want to work for you. And they say, well, what experience do you have? You can say, okay, I've done all of these things. And it's just so much better for a company to, to look at and say, oh, okay, you actually understand the process. Now, you didn't run a Kickstarter and make a million dollars, but that's not the point. They can they can teach you how to make a million dollars. You can go yes. to Asmodee, <laughs> you can go to Spinmaster, you can go to these big companies, and they can show you the big stuff. But right. for you just to have a preliminary understanding of the steps along the path, you know, for them to understand that, for them to know that you understand playtesting and taking in feedback and adjusting the game and iterating over and over and over again, all those skills that y'all seem to have been picking up along the way make mm -hmm. you so much more hireable <laughs> now, yes. you know? And so hopefully your game takes off and you make a million dollars and it becomes you know, the <laughs> next big thing. But if it, even if it doesn't, you still have, you've made yourselves very, very hireable if you want to go out and work for someone else, you know, another big company or something like that. And then do, do your own thing on the side. That's totally fine. And so I really commend y'all for, going yeah. into a very challenging moment, right? You said you graduated April, 2020. That's like the worst time to graduate ever. That's, that's yeah. right up there with like in 2008 when the entire housing market blew up and the economy crashed. Like, oh yeah, I graduated then. Like, well, good luck. You know, you were guaranteed to move home living in the basement of your parents' house because yeah. that's all there was. But y'all took that moment and you said, okay, we want to do something bigger. We want to learn. We want to figure this stuff out. We want to go from there. And so I'm very, just very proud of y'all. Um, for taking oh, that step because yeah. most people didn't most people were afraid and they kind of hunkered down and wow. now they're looking back like two years have gone by and they've done nothing whereas two years for y'all have gone by and you've done a whole lot and so that's it's very very cool and i don't know if you want to add anything or maybe some encouragement uh, for other people maybe kind of sitting there on the fence like oh, i don't know what would you know what would you tell yeah um i think i would just say just do it <laughs> because i think people can get really in their heads about this it is a lot to take on but sometimes when you're forecasting like 
you know, a year, five years, whatever into the future, you can really stunt your growth. I think that thinking too hard about it in the beginning can be kind of crippling to some people. So I think just get started. I think what you said, you know, even taking a small idea and just seeing that through to the end, it builds up a lot of confidence in yourself and your ability to really follow through and to understand what goes into this thing because there's a lot that goes into it. But I would discourage you from getting too too in your head before you even start designing. And I think that's like a really great point that Stephanie's adding. And I find that a lot of people, like even to this day, like a lot of people have imposter syndrome and they're like, oh, I can't like, and you just make excuses for yourself and you always find a way to like not do it. But like, like Stephanie said, if you just start the process and you chip at it and you learn, you learn so much. Like we've learned how to like contact ma- manufacturing companies in like, yeah, in a sourcing complete, quotes and yeah, all of and that, all of that. Of Like we, we had no idea how, but you just, if you just start the process and chip away at it. By the time you look back, we're like, oh, now we have a manufacturer. We have all these things Mm -hmm. that we just had no idea how to start. So just just like Nike says, just do it. (laughs) Yeah. And we've found, especially in this industry, that people are so willing to help you out. They're so willing to, you know, reach out to you and give you a lot of feedback on your stuff and also a lot of advice on the do's and don'ts. So, yeah, just getting started, you know, and then figuring it out from there. Yeah, I 100% agree. We were talking before the uh, the show just about how incredible the people in this industry are with <laughs> their time and with their advice and experience and trying to help you not fall into the same pit that they fell into, you know, oh, yes. that you <laughs> don't fall into the same traps as far as uh, fulfillment and logistics and manufacturing, all those things. They, they are so helpful and kind and friendly. Uh, and so it's just a, a, there's really no excuse in the game, gaming industry, <laughs> the hobby side, especially. Now the, the mass market side, the toys side's a little bit, Harrier because there's a lot more there's patents involved there's a lot more money involved there's other things but in the hobby side wow I just can't uh, recommend enough people get into this and just experience it for themselves but um but you brought up a great point a second ago as far as like that confidence and one thing I've learned over the years is that everything creates more of itself and so a lot of people will say well I just don't have the confidence okay well to get the confidence you have to have confidence it's this weird paradox Mm -hmm. right that if you can just put yourself out there one time and it not be fatal then you go, oh, oh, I can do this. And then you do it a little bit more and a little bit grander, a little bit bigger, a little bit better. And then you do it again. And everything just stack, stacks on top of itself. You know, it's kind of like if you're if you're getting into dating and you're like really <laughs> shy, and you're really scared to like walk across the room and, and ask somebody their name or for their number or something like that. Well, the only way to get over that is to take one step forward across the room and go, okay, that didn't kill me. Uh, maybe I'll take another step. And then eventually you get over there and you talk to them and, you know, maybe they say, ha that's funny. No, thanks. You know, whatever. Maybe it's a complete flop, a complete failure, but you at least didn't die from it. And you're like, oh, yes. well, this is, it's okay. You know, and then you can do it again. Well, same thing with creativity. You know, you put yourself out there and you go, okay, here's this thing I created. And one person is like, oh, that's cool. I like it. Like, oh, oh, okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> you know, and let's try it again. And then you get like five people and then you get like a hundred people and then, you know, things just stack and you build that confidence, but it really just takes that one step of figuring it out and going from there. And so, you know, that's one of those things you just got to, like you said, you just got to do it. And it's, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not complicated, but it can be very, very scary. It can be very, very hard, but um, yeah, you know, just to encourage people. Yeah. It gets easier every time you do it too. Like I think one thing for me is I was super nervous to bring this game to playtest when we first started doing it. And Jess is much more of an outgoing person than I am. And she really pushed me to do that. And once we had gone the first time, I was like, okay, okay, I can do this. Yeah, this is not so bad. Um, and it definitely, it's built up my confidence in this a lot. And, you know, realizing that you're going to have good playtests, you're going to have bad playtests. And it's really just about how you take that feedback and how you work that into your game. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, well, let's uh, let's get into the game and talking about the game uh, mechanism as far as take that game. Let's start off with a good working definition. Steph, in your mind as the designer, when you were thinking take that, like what does that mean exactly? Like, again, uh, as I said during the, uh, the intro, you know, Sorry and Uno and so like the big classic games of, of everybody's childhood involve take that mechanisms in different ways. But what does that mean? What is take that? I would say take that is really about, you know, <laughs> it's 
it's attacking the people that you're playing <laughs> with, but in the funnest way possible. Um, you would hope that people are having fun. Like even in games like Sorry and stuff, you're knocking them out all of their progress and sending them back to their home, but everyone's still laughing. And I think that's I'm always sure been. I'd be <laughs> Jess, is, Jess, is, <laughs> Jess is very very competitive. Um, but yeah, we. I think that's always been our goal with this. Like we like a little bit of that take that action in our family because we are competitive and we do like that kind of play um, where you're really, you know, you're giving someone a, like a big, a big surprise with whatever you're doing, but they're still having fun and they're still laughing. That's always our goal at the end of the day with the games that we're working on. Right. So interesting. Also, I was sitting here thinking about it, like most of the popular sports in the world are take that games. You know, football, yes. you're literally hitting people. You're, you're <laughs> tackling them to the ground as hard as you possibly can. That's literally just take that as much as you can put into it. Uh, or, you're, you know, you're scoring points. You're doing different things. Um, you're knocking the ball down. In basketball, you're trying to block. You're trying to steal. Uh, playing soccer, same thing. You're trying to take the ball away from the other, other team and then put it in their goal. Um, and so, you know, a lot of sports are, are very much take that oriented. Um, you know, yeah. there's also like swimming and gymnastics and things that are like there's no take that elements um, at all. But you know, it's interesting how popular those sports are, how popular mm. the mass market games are. I, I think there's just something yeah. kind of deep down inside of us naturally that we yeah. want to stick it to other people, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the name of competition, yeah. you know, in the name of, of us being better in some way. And so I guess these games kind of tap into that. Uh, and now some are just random, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think there's a way to really deliver that like healthy competition as well. And that's what we strive for with this. Um, you know, there are some cards and stuff that are, very much take that. But I think that we've built a lot into the game to make sure that there are ways to come back from it. And it's not so incredibly punishing that people are just like, I never want to play this game again. Yeah, that's so important. Let's let's talk about that for a second, because, you know, taking away progress, I feel like is just a, a, a fatal flaw, a fatal sin in a lot of games, especially now in, in the modern era where you're, you know, where someone has built something up and then you play a card and just tear it all down. Like, that's not fun. And it also probably makes the game stretch out even longer. And that's also typically not fun. If you think about sports and other, you know, games that people play a lot, you know, if I'm playing football or basketball, I can't do anything that takes points away from the other team. Like what they've scored is what they've scored. And I'm just trying to score more than them. I'm trying to prevent them from scoring more. I'm not taking away progress. And so talk to me about that. How do you do that effectively in a game, in a board game, a card game so that it is fun? It, it still feels like competition. It still feels like progress. Yeah. Um, so with our game, basically the way that it's structured is that you're taking turns and every turn that you take kind of is preparing you for this big kind of like battle royale style potato party and that's where a lot of that take that comes in although we it is also in that building up phase during uh the turn taking and i think the fact that um during the potato parties you're winning tokens and that's what wins you the game you need six tokens to win it's always this forward motion there's never any stealing of the tokens that is always something that you know stays in place it's not something that you can mess with you can mess with other players cards you can you know make them lose hotter potatoes you can steal but the tokens are always your tokens once you've won them so you're always getting that forward motion gotcha and now Jess, let's talk about it from a business standpoint. How do you make sure you're marketing it in a certain way that people understand the type of take that game it is? Because I feel like there are different levels. Uh, there are different kinds, especially when you're marketing towards the hobby side of things. And I feel like y'all are trying to do a little bit of both, trying to cross over kind of in the mass market, but also kind of in the hobby side of things. And correct me if I'm wrong and tell me, tell me about your thoughts on that. But how do you market these kinds of games effectively so people, they don't just write you off right from the beginning? Yeah. So like we have this phrase that we love saying um, about the game and it's really, can you take the heat? Or are you about to get roasted? And it's kind of like, it shows that there's like a take that strategy element to it. But I think really when you take a look at the rules and it's just the fact that you, you're just making your way to the six tokens and the fact that nobody can just like take away those tokens from you, like that's the key aspect of just progressing forward of that. Um, it, like, yeah, I think that really with the marketing, what we're trying to do is very clearly communicate 
what this game is about to people. Because I think that that's the biggest barrier for mass market. Like if they don't immediately understand what this game is about and what you're doing, you lose them. So I think that that's been our biggest thing with the marketing, like figuring out how to make this very clear to people and also how to catch people's attention, like, um, you know, bringing the humor into it. One of our ads that we're running right now, um, (laughs) it says, yeah, um, are you like, are you looking for hot potatoes in your area? And it's supposed to be playing on that whole, I'm sure you've seen those ads before. Um, <laughs> it's like hot singles in your yes, area. Yes. And then on the side, it says coming but, to a Kickstarter near you. Yeah, um, exactly. And, it's, and so we're just trying to um, market it as more as like a lighthearted rather than a very aggressive, like punishing game. I think it's just supposed to be more fun and more about like the potatoes and the puns and how to like just kind of like on that area more than I would say more than an aggressive, like, oh, just punish your friends out here and destroy them. <laughs> yeah, and that makes a lot of sense from a marketing standpoint as far as the theme goes. You know, I feel like if you tried to make a really serious, really complicated, thinky, take that game, it probably wouldn't do as well. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. Like there's such a disconnect. One, from the player group that typically likes take that games, they're not usually also into like four hour Euro games. Like it's such a different thing. And so um, talk to me a little bit about that. When, whenever you were designing the game, what were some things that you were thinking about as far as like how to keep it light? You're talking about puns and the artwork that definitely plays into it. But what maybe as far as like the game play and the game mechanisms, as far as keeping it, you know, simple, lighthearted, fun. That way, when you do have cards played on you, it's like, oh, it's, it's funny, not just like devastating. Yeah, um, I think that the structure of the game plays a lot into that because it's a very simple structure. You're just you're taking turns. All of your turns are building up the to this potato party and then you're playing out the potato parties and there's actions that you can do within that, but it is limited. Um, It feels like a lot of um, like, I think we've designed a game where you feel like you have a lot of player agency, but uh, it's the kind of player agency that we want you to have. And I also think Stephanie, one thing to highlight about her is that she's very, talented in the artistic <laughs> side and so she's like, biased too oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm her number one fan girl but um like well there's one card on it and it's a britney spears potato and i in an action you can play on another person is give me your hottest potato so i'm essentially stealing something that could win her a token but it's like a a very like hot potato in the form of Britney Spears saying, give me, give me <laughs> like of the, yeah, the, it, the card is it's, we call them dual action cards. Yeah. So you're making a choice about whether you want to play an action right away or whether you're going to wait, um, one turn for the more powerful action. Um, and it's called, yeah, the first action is called gimme and the second one's called gimme more. So it's playing on that, um, whole Britney Spears song and we have the little potato and she says it's Britney bitch. So <laughs> yeah, that's the whole, that's the whole joke with that. We've, we've really tried to make this game very highly thematic um, with the cards. There's a lot of pop culture references, um, lots of fun puns. Uh, and that's a lot of where the game started. It started with concept. And it's, and like to answer your question, I think it's just kind of funny. Like when I play that card and it hits the table and you see a sexy Britney Spears yeah. potato form, it's, you're like, ah, it's kind of funny. And here's my hottest potato. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not as like heartbreaking. I think if it was like it, just because Stephanie designed the card so well, it's, it's a little lighter in that sense. Yeah. And because like right, you right. said, there are a lot of ways to come back with this too. There's a lot of counterplay to that. Also, we don't have any card in the game really that, um, you can't stop the action from happening. There's a way we've built in ways for you to um, counter whatever someone else plays on you. Like someone could play a nah card and it's a potato flipping you off. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you play that down, it's just funny because it's just you see it on the table. And it's a potato with both his hands up with the middle finger. <laughs> Yeah, and so I feel like really playing into just the silliness of yeah, this silly. goes a long way, right? Because mm-hmm. if this was a game about the Romans fighting off barbarians, <laughs> you know, it'd be like, okay, give me your your Caesar card. It's like, okay, that's a little bit different than, you know, playing off pop culture and things like that. And so that goes a long way in just kind of keeping the, the table as far as like the experience of the players lighthearted and fun and, and you know, playing things quickly and all that. And let's, let's talk about time for a second. 
you know, I feel like the shorter these games are typically the better, like a two hour take that game is, it just sounds like an awful time. I can't imagine that being super fun. And so tell me about that, especially as far as like the design and, and play testing and what you're figuring out as far as like the perfect game length. And I know your game can, can vary a little bit depending on the skill level of the players. And maybe you can kind of stretch out as, as players get more uh, experience with the game, but tell me just your thoughts on the length of time they take that game should take and then what your experience has been with your own game and maybe having to cut it down and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think that we've learned a lot through play testing for sure. And, um, I think we're, we're right for us in a sweet spot of like about 20 to 60 minutes. We definitely don't want to go over an hour with this. Uh, we have seen games though, like, I mean, unstable unicorns and stuff that, can get very, very long, um, depending on yeah, the player count and you know how long it's taking you to make that decision and whether or not you're familiar with the rules. So that's been something that we've been very mindful in in the process of creating this game. We want to make everything as clear for players right off the bat. They understand what's going on. So communicating that to them effectively has been a big priority for us and something that we've really work to streamline throughout like the play testing of the game. I would say that's one of been one of our biggest hurdles, like figuring out how to communicate rules to people in a way that is very clear and very understandable right from the get go. But I think another thing we've also built in is that there is a, a shorter version of a game that to be played if you didn't want to sit all the way to like perhaps a 60 minute game. We and then we've timed it a few times now and we're just trying to get, you know, more data on how long that game takes. But so far it's showing that it's taking around 30, 35, 40 minutes, I would say like so between 30 and 40. minutes. Yeah. And we would only recommend that for like a four or five player game. Um, two to three players can go very, very quickly. Uh, but yeah, we'd say like once you start getting into four or five players and, you know, you, if they take longer and stuff to make some of their decisions in the game, it can run up to about 60 minutes. So we're doing a lot of work to streamline that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like with a game like yours, and if I remember right, you have to get a certain number of tokens to win the game. And I think, is it six? Am I remembering that right? Six tokens, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you could tweak it down and just play to four or, or something like that, right? And so for players to be able to, yeah. Uh, for players to be able to limit the the game time if they if they choose to if they want to, um, but I feel like also and I don't know if, if this is something you've tried, but I feel like with take that games if they have any kind of tendency to to lend like lend, lend themselves towards like player pr- analysis paralysis and kind of overthinking things. Oh, do I play this card or that card? Almost to have like a fun way to do it. Like maybe there's some cards in the game, like in yours, it could be, you know, a baked card, like your, your brain is overcooked or baked or something like right. that. And you play that on anybody that's taking too long. And then that <laughs> causes them, you know, to lose a card or, or no, like, then you get to choose the card that they play, you know, something like that. Right. That's kind of fun, kind of funny and thematic. That's really but at funny. the same time, like if you're sitting there taking a little bit long on your turn, your other thought is, Oh shoot, somebody might have that card that they're about to play on me, you know, cause I'm taking too long. Right. To make their like a, like in, in-game penalty or something like that. So I feel like there's all sorts of really interesting ways that you can come up with to kind of have fun and almost just create another take that element of the game to prevent analysis paralysis. And so have, have you done anything along those lines? Have you tried anything to kind of speed up players making decisions? Yeah, I think we've tweaked a lot of um, our action cards so that people aren't taking like forever to make the decision. It is like a little bit more limited. We've reined it in more and i think that's helped a lot with that whole analysis paralysis issue because that is something yeah that we definitely considered um early on in the play testing we noticed yeah some people were getting really stuck on certain cards so we've adjusted those to make sure that we can get them going and get a faster game yeah i've seen some take that games that run into the issue of basically just too much text on the card like the the ability that the card has just like way too complicated. It's like you're looking at a magic, the gathering card. It's got like four <laughs> yeah. different. There's a whole paragraph to read. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's fine. If that's the game you're making, like that works for magic, the gathering, it does yeah. not necessarily work for a 25 minute, take that game. And especially if that card is not normal, like there's 95% of the game's cards have like one line of text and it's real simple and real obvious. And then there's like mm-hmm. four cards that have this big long paragraph. It's like, okay, maybe just get rid of those <laughs> or, or do something different. And so I think that's another thing that um, people can run into. What are some other, some of the other like pitfalls or, or obstacles y'all ran into 
as far as creating this game. I know originally it wasn't even to take that game. And so maybe tell me a little bit about that and maybe some of the, the, the walls that y'all ran into. Yeah. Um, I would say we've definitely done a lot of iterations of this and we've really tweaked a lot of things along the way to get it to where it is now. I think one of our biggest struggles has been communicating the rules as like first time designers. That's been very, a very difficult process because you you're so like into the game that you're creating, you know, all of the rules, you know, this whole world that you're building. Um, So when you're writing them, you're writing it from your perspective. Like, of course, I would know that. And then you give them to someone else and you're like, oh, I never thought about it in that way. They have a completely different interpretation of this rule and the way that this plays. Or they just don't understand the flow of this. So that's definitely been something we've been working on quite a bit to make sure that those rules are very solid and we can give them to pretty much anyone and they will understand them. Um, of course, we will have a video as well for people that don't like reading because there's a lot of those people now. Um, yeah, but we've been working really hard to make sure that the rules are very solid and that people understand them as the first time that they read through. Uh, I think that's been a big thing for us. And then also, um, yeah, just in the design, I think a pitfall that people can fall into is falling in love with their game too early and not being able to see where it needs adjustment. Um, Cause there's, <laughs> there's a lot of things that come up in play testing that I think people can be like very resistant to at first when you hear criticism um, cause it's your baby. But I think being able to really look at that and, you know, say like, is this actually adding to my game? Is this actually making it better? Cause at the end of the day, that's always the goal. Um, and knowing which things need to get thrown out, because sometimes things do need to get thrown out. Yeah, I think that would be a big part, too, is that we play tested with several different peoples, with um, several different groups and people with varying ranges of like never playing games to avid game game owners who own over 180 games. So we get a lot of feedback and just filtering through on which ones are important for us to take note and implement and play test and try out. And then which ones are like, you know, is feedback, but it's not particularly the game we want to make. And it's like you said, like someone did, like quite a few people were like, oh, I feel like I should be able to steal someone's tokens if they're close to winning. But yeah. it it makes the game so much more punishing. And if you're losing, obviously you want to steal from the person. And a lot longer <laughs> too, yeah. Yeah, and and obviously you want to take their tokens away. Um, but if you're winning and you're super close to winning <laughs> and someone takes your tokens away, you're like, I don't want that to happen. So it's just like filtering through what's important and what we need to test out and play and implement and the things that we just need to be like, that is not the game we're building. And it's a really good idea, but it's not our game. Yeah. And I mean, we have played with a lot of different groups, but also, yeah, we're very, we're mi- very mindful of where the feedback is coming from. If they're not really our target audience, then, you know, some of that feedback, like we we need to look closer at and see, like, does that actually work for what we're trying to make? Yeah, that's a really good point. I was at a um, playtesting session one time and we had just played this really interesting kind of 4X space game and we were doing the feedback at the end and another player at the table just hated the game. And he's like, oh, you know, this is a problem. I didn't like this. I didn't like that and gave all this negative feedback. And then the designer, they said, well, you know, well, do you like space games? And the person's like, oh no, I hate space games. I'm like, well, what are we doing here? Like, you're not, I mean, okay. So you're always going to run into that. Uh, yeah. I feel like someone should lead with that. They should be like, well, I hate space games. And out of my hatred, let me tell you these things. Cause that tells the designer, Hey, don't listen to me, what I'm about to say, yeah. uh, or at least don't or listen much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that's always going to be part of it. One thing I want to highlight though, that you, you said just a, a few minutes ago was that you test the rule book. And you, you get people to read it and at different levels and tell you about it. That's one of my absolute favorite things. Also, one of the things I hate to do because it's always like, oh, I have to rewrite this thing 10 more times, but is to just hand somebody the game as is, right? And so here, as if that they just bought it from the store or just received it after the Kickstarter campaign or whatever, here's the game in the box. Here's the rule book. I am going to sit here and say nothing and take notes while you try to explain to me how to play. And so they open up the box, they take out the components, take out the rule book, and they just go, all right, step one. And they start setting up the game, right? And sometimes they do it completely wrong. And it's like, okay, I need to rewrite all of those things because that was wrong. And it's so helpful to basically just kind of have an unguided play test 
but really just of the rule book. Like we won't even play the game. It's like, hey, can I borrow you for 10 minutes to do setup and like explanation for this game? And I just want to see if my writing is getting across as far as like, does, you know, is it clear or whatever? And it's so helpful and also so heartbreaking. Sometimes you're like, oh, <laughs> I am so bad yeah. at this, but anyway, uh, it's, it's really good long term. And so I'm glad that y'all are, are doing that. And that's something I definitely encourage other designers to uh, to do. And it's it's no small task. But yeah. um, OK, let's let's dive back into kind of take that mechanisms side of things. You've mentioned comebacks. Let's talk a little bit more about that. What are some ways that people can come back? Earlier, you said that people can like cancel cards. You know, if someone plays something, you can kind of cancel it or reverse it. Anything else that people can do that kind of feels like you have a fighting chance? Or so the game's not just happening to you, so to speak, like you feel like you can overcome or come back from things that are happening. Yeah, um, I think we've built in a lot of things that allow players like, you know, there is a certain amount of RNG in our game with a lot of like mass market games. You find that. And we have made it so that, you know, even if you do get dealt a really crappy hand, there's still a lot of things that you can do to make it better and to, to fix that for yourself. We have cards that allow you to swap bad cards with the deck. So you'd be drawing new cards. Um, you have cards that will allow you to swap with other players. We also have uses for some of the cards that don't seem quite as favorable at first. Um, that you can you can play out and you can get something that would really work for you. Like we have this one mechanism where you'd be able to discard three of a kind, any three of a kind in the game, and you would be able to grab a card that was just played off the top of one of the discard piles. And that can actually give you a huge edge in the game if you're really feeling like you're behind. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like you know, this is something that also comes from playtesting and just watching players and kind of seeing the emotion on their face when something bad happens to them and going, okay, how can I prevent <laughs> yeah. the anguish? You know, and what are some interesting, especially with a game like yours, it has this kind of funny, goofy theme. It's like, okay, how can I introduce more funny, goofy theme with being able to come back and, and have these different cards that, uh, that do that? But, uh, okay, so a minute ago we were talking about how you have to get six tokens to win. That's the end condition. Why, why is that the end condition? Like, was that always the end condition? Was that something that you, you tried something else? didn't quite work. Did you start off with 10? You start off with three. Like, tell me about how you landed on six tokens winning the game. Originally, like we, we pivoted a lot. We've heard back from our play testers. So originally it was actually just five tokens. And then I don't, Stephanie briefly mentioned before, but the dice has, um, the, when you roll the dice to determine how much the potato party is worth, it, you can roll a one, a two or a three. And we found that it just really depends on how that plays out. But quite often people, because what is the distribution? Maybe you should touch base on that first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's one, one on the dice and then there's three twos and there's two threes. And that's also actually changed since we first started play testing the game. Cause it was a, I think I did an even split at first and we noticed the game was taking too long. Uh, so I made the division um, where the one is the least, you're least likely to roll a one. Uh, and I think that helps speed up the game a lot. But then we kept play testing and people were like, ah, like we really want to be playing a little bit longer because, you know, if you if the first two potato parties, someone rolls a three, the game could be over that quick. And like, while we do know that it is a mass market game, we want it to move quickly. We also want it to feel satisfying to the players for sure. So I think having a little bit more room to mess with other people and to really that's also kind of a comeback thing you have more opportunity in the game to catch up because it is a little bit longer and you're you might not be winning in just two games flat like mm -hmm. that um has really helped with the play oh that's interesting and then are there also cards or any any ways for uh, a player to adjust the number of tokens like if, if you roll a two they can play a card that bumps it up to a three or anything like that where they can kind of mess with the end condition? That's something that we're looking into for expansion. We have a lot of really fun expansion cards that we have planned. Um, we also have a, a card that we want to do that would be like a re-roll card. So you would play that card either for yourself or on somebody else, and it would force them to re-roll the dice. Oh, that's interesting. I've also seen some games that do this where um, after the, the hand is won, you know, you play a card and it says, oh, you thought that was worth three. It's actually worth two. 
you know, and someone's like, hey, I win the game. You're like, ha you thought you won the game. We about to play one more round, you know? Okay. And so I like that for expansions. I don't necessarily like that right out of the box. I feel like that maybe yes. it's a little too much, but uh, for an expansion, yeah, I think that'd be uh, a really fun thing to throw in there. That's totally something that we're considering because I think um, anyone who's buying your expansion pack already really likes the base game and they're okay with like, you know, having more cards to learn and like for the game to, you know, be a little bit more back and forth like that. So for the expansion, we have a lot of cards that are big surprises like that. We're really a big fan of surprises in games and things that... Like sneaky attacks. Yeah, unexpected moments. Um, So I think we've built a lot of that into the base game, but yeah, things that kind of tamper with that (laughs) and could possibly make the game go a little bit longer. We're saving for expansion for those super fans, the people who really, really love this game and want to have a lot of back and forth play. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's, uh, let's switch back over to some of the business side of things, Jess. Um, tell me, tell me more about the business side of things as, as far as like trying to get the word out there, trying to get people on the email list. You know, we, we talked about earlier your, your Facebook ads and being silly and kind of goofy and, you know, playing off of the, the local singles ads and things like that. What are some of the other things that y'all are doing marketing wise, business wise to just make people aware of the game? Yeah. So we've actually, we do a lot of, there's a lot of avenues that we've explored to gain exposure for our game. And it was a little bit hard when COVID and, you know, everyone was social distancing. A lot of ways that people have recommended is, you know, doing a lot of meetups and going to conventions. But when those things aren't happening, it's, it's very hard. So we had to be kind of strategic about how we figured out how to navigate that space. So we've, you know, where our game is on Vorpal, thanks to one of our awesome play testers, he helped us upload it up and we played online with some people as, and as things opened up and, you know, the world is becoming more normal, we've attended a lot of meetups. We're in several meetup board games in Vancouver and we do a lot of pay, play testing groups and those people, like people who've played it really enjoyed it. And they were like, oh, I'd love to show this to my friends. Can you host another play test? And I bring my friend involved. And it's simple things like that. I'm building relationships that we do organically that I've found is really helping. But another avenue that's um, that we are currently in process of is just doing the running the ads on Facebook and social media so that we can gain a more international and more worldwide and reach people that we just couldn't reach where we're based out of and given where we are right now. Yeah. So we've been running Facebook ads and we've been building a Facebook group called, um, <laughs> it's called VIPs with, yeah. a, it's a very important potatoes only Facebook group where anybody could join. Um, but <laughs> with, you're like very important, but anyone can join. It. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's a, it's like, yeah, the VIP group where we do a lot of the behind the scenes and we have over a hundred members. I think we launched that Facebook group like two weeks ago and we've built over a um, hundred, over a hundred 20, I would, 120 um, members in there. And we post a lot of the behind the scenes and people are really excited about it, which is crazy. Yeah. And we like to get a lot of feedback too on new ideas that um, we're thinking about implementing in the game or like getting a better understanding of what our customer is looking for. Even just stuff like, you know, for box, de- like packaging design, do you prefer something simple or do you like to see a lot of the characters in the game on the box or um, for like ads and stuff? what appeals to you most? Do you like an ad that um, really is art focused and they're leading with that or something, you know, you have a big spread of the game photography or seeing people play the game, what attracts you the most when you initially see that? And I think that's been very helpful to us as well. And like anything really community building at the end of the day, we're built, like we're making this game for the community. And so we just take in a lot of feedback. But um, one thing I did want to touch base with that I think really helps with our marketing is this fun thing we do called Freaky Fridays. And it's on our Instagram. It's a, it's kind of a thing we do once a month now. And it's a, it's kind of in the promotion in the way that we promote our product is that Stephanie will potato fry you if you entered mm-hmm. on our post uh, for this like potato fry giveaway and how we do it is uh, we chose people in the community that enter into the post and then Stephanie draws them in a potato version it's like freaky Friday <laughs> yeah if you've ever seen that movie with um what's her name again Lindsay Lohan that yeah, was Jamie kind of my yes, yes exactly yes. <laughs> that was kind of my inspiration for it and I thought it'd be really fun to like take our followers and like make them a potato and, you know, bring them more into this world of hot potatoes. 
And we used the features on Instagram, like the collaboration post when they implemented it in, and it helped us gain, um, like we would collaborate on the post and have the other person post it to their Instagram account as well. And it helps us with the exposure. And I think that's the biggest thing about us is that just trying to gain that exposure and awareness that this is a game that's coming out to Kickstarter soon. And in that sense, it really was fun because everyone wants to see themselves as a potato version. And yeah, that one, that one was probably one of the coolest marketing tactics that we did. Yeah, I think Jess too is very good at forming relationships with people in the community. She's really great with all of that outreach. Um, so that's been really nice. Like we've connected with a lot of gamers through Instagram who have, you know, pages dedicated to their love of board games. And um, yeah, I think, you know, we don't want to understate the importance of those people. They've been super helpful during this process. And yeah, Jess is really great at maintaining those relationships. Yeah, very cool. And then one advantage that you have designing a take that game, designing a game that is a little more on the simpler side of things is that you can reach out to YouTube channels, Instagram influencers, people like that, that aren't necessarily board game people, Mm -hmm. but your game is still something they might be interested in. And so, you know, you could reach out to a channel with a million subscribers that focuses on not board games, right? Something Mm -hmm. totally different. You know, you could you could reach out to a, a cooking channel that focuses on uh, how to make good, uh, delicious food out of potatoes. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and they've got a million subscribers that are all interested in how to make really good food for their family. And you could say, hey, here's this fun game about potatoes. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. And people are always looking for content, especially mm-hmm. if it's a little bit different, something a little bit of a curveball they can throw with their fans every now and then. Um, you know, that's something I, I really learned from a guy named Dave Beck who had an amazing Kickstarter campaign for a game called Distilled, which is all about yeah, making yeah. alcohol. Yeah, and yeah. he made like $400,000 as his first campaign. It was like, what the heck? How in the world did you do that? And it's partially because he had reached out to so many distilleries and people just kind of in the alcohol industry and built up such a huge crowd of not exactly gamers, but just people interested in the theme of his game. And he did really, really well. And so that was like, oh man, that's brilliant. And so one thing I've been doing with this game I've been working on for a long time called Robomon, it's got a very much Pokemon vibe. And so I've been reaching out to Pokemon YouTube channels that that's what they do. And they've got a million subscribers. It's like, hey, if you like Pokemon and you're into board games at all, I think you'll really like this thing I'm working on and just trying to get them interested and get them to feature it and get them to play it and and showcase it on their channel and things like that. So just thinking outside the box and who could fit. And with y'all's game, again, being so simple, being able to, you can play it in 30 minutes. You can pick up the rules and learn it in five minutes. You know, um, that lends itself to being easier to sell it to other people to, you know, showcase it on their channel. And so I, I think it's really smart um, to reach out and, and do things like that. But um, anything else as far as the marketing side of things? No, we just really try to do like community focused kind of marketing and then like just really building those um, relationships with, you know, potential backers, as well as like influencers in the community, like you have said, with like um, people who are super involved with dedicated Instagram accounts for board games or card games itself. So those are the, just kind of the things we're doing. But I like this idea of just like trying to figure out like <laughs> people who do content on like just cooking and like, you got to find that niche and then really look into it that too. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot I mean, of games out there, there, there for sure. <laughs> yeah, and there's so many TikToks now. And there's, I mean, people love carbs. You know, and potatoes are just straight up carbohydrates. And um, <laughs> I think just lean into that and see what happens. But uh, anyway, let's uh, let's move back to the design side of things a little bit. Um, Steph, tell me about combos. I think Take That Games potentially lend themselves to very interesting combos, whether you intended them to happen or not as a game designer is a whole nother conversation. But um, tell me, is that something you're, you've been thinking about as far as like how the cards play off of each other and the combinations you can make? Tell me about that. Yeah, um, that's definitely a big part of the game. And I think that people, one of the things that is so great about it is that I think it makes our game very replayable because the more times you play it, the more strategies and combo plays that you can really figure out. Um, we have a lot of cards that kind of build on themselves like that. And one thing that we've loved about you know some of the take that games that we've played is that you're not limited in the number of actions that you can do. Um, so we've made the actions unlimited on your turn. You can play as many as you want. And um, I think a lot of really fun combo plays come out of that. Like we have this card um, where you can 
keep a peek and you're you're looking at the number of cards that's equal to the number of players plus one more. And then you're going to take one and you shuffle the rest of them up. So you're kind of getting to see what each you're getting to decide what all the other players get to pick up. Um, and then from there, we have different actions that you can do. Like um, we have this card called double draw. That's my favorite. Combo. Yeah. So- <laughs> double draw is really fun. Yeah. You get to choose to either pick up one card from each of the decks or two cards from one of the decks. So you can play those in tandem and set yourself up with three cards instead of just the one card. Um, we also have a uh, uh, card swap and deck swap. What deck swap would do is that you would also get to trade in potatoes and action cards for new ones. It's, it would just be equal to whatever you've played down. Um, and that in combination with those cards can be really fun too. Um And then within the potato parties themselves, there's a lot of really fun back and forth play there. It all kind of builds on itself. Like if Jess had, for example, like 10 points and I had eight points, I have cards that um, will boost my hotness score. We call those glow ups. Like in real life, when you glow up and you get hotter, (laughs) that was kind of the idea with that. That adds to your score. We also have a really funny card called Mr. Steal Your Girl. And what that does is that would allow me to steal Jess's hot, hottest potato and, and add it to my my posse, is what we call them, potato posse for the alliteration. Um, and things like Bouncer, they're all like very thematic cards and they kind of, yeah, they build on each other. And um, there's a lot of really fun back and forth play and like surprises within that. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I love I love combos. I love when I can be smarter than my friends, you know, and I can figure out how the cards really play off each other in a way that gets me the victory at the end. So that's that's cool. Um, all right, Jess, anything else you want to highlight from the business side of things? Any other you know, roadblocks you've run into? Not necessarily with the take that game. Anything in general, maybe for new publishers, just to kind of be aware of that you want to encourage them down a certain path or you want to you know, encourage them not to go down a certain path, anything from the business or marketing side of things? I think from the business side of things, it's just really just understanding that there are a lot. Of, I think what we found is that we ran into a lot of unforeseen things with like the whole pandemic. And then also like the, sh- like the repercussions of the pandemic is the scary part. Um, it's like shipping is now more expensive than it's ever been. And it's tough because then when we're trying to ship the freights over of the games, it's very expensive and we don't want our backers to be paying a lot of money. And so just navigating this as it comes, has been very stressful, but it's, it's something that a lot of people who have launched their Kickstarters and something we talked about is that they're, they're willing to give advice on us and how to navigate that space and work around it and, what to do given the circumstances. So just really just figuring out what to do and know that there are going to be a lot of challenges on the way there and reaching out to people for advice. Like so many people in this community really just want to help out each other and lift each other up and sort through this as we all go through it together. Yeah, that's a really good point. We're in weird times. And so don't be afraid. Yeah, don't be afraid to, to reach out and ask people and whether it's in the Board Game Design Lab Facebook community we're uh, just reaching out to people directly uh, through Board Game Geek or you know online. Um, yeah, most people are pretty open about their experience and, and ways to to help you. And one thing I've also learned is they'll typically, well, a lot of times they'll refer you to people helping them. So I have been able to hire amazing freelancers to help out with logistics and fulfillment and things like that based on recommendations from other publishers. They, you know, they'll say, hey, yeah, I don't know either. I'm figuring it out. But I hired this amazing woman over here, this amazing guy over there. And they're helping me figure it out and saving me a lot of money. So look into that. And I've been able to, to hire really great people that have saved me a lot of money. And so that might be something as well. It's just the building of the network, building up of the contacts that, uh, that goes a long way as well. Yeah, we're just navigating an unpredictable time. So we're just all trying to help each other through this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. As we kind of close things out, let's go back over to Steph as far as the design of things. What would you leave people with as far as closing thoughts, as far as designing a take that game? Anything, any other little anecdotes, any any last encouraging words, anything you want to leave listeners with? Yeah, um, with this, I'd say the most important thing for us has been really, yeah, not taking not taking feedback so personal 
and making sure that you're really doing your due diligence on playtesting. It's super invaluable to this whole process um, and not being so precious with your game because there are a lot of things through this that you'll see through this process that um, you might need to tweak or you might need to just get rid of completely. Like I personally, this is on the art side more, but I completely redesigned all of the artwork and the cards for the game um, just last month, actually, um, because we felt like, you know, my skills had grown a lot since I first designed it. And I think it's at a place where it feels a lot more marketable. It's like that very fun, like cartoony, like animation style. I think that that's helped a lot. And then just on the the actual like game mechanics side, we've adjusted a lot of rules and a lot of cards. Like in the beginning, we found there were some cards where people weren't playing. Yeah, they weren't playing them a lot. And we really had to look at that and see like, why is this a card that people aren't interested in using? And, you know, either how can we tweak this so that it feels more valuable to people or should we just scrap this completely and think of a new idea? Um, so I think, yeah, being able to take feedback and not being so precious with your creation. Cause I think for a lot of designers, it can be very personal, especially in their first project that they've ever done. And I think just to add on that, just on both sides is like constantly adapting and just going and figuring out where to go from there. Like we've, the game has changed a lot from the origins of like when Steph first brought it and we've added a lot of rules, added a lot of like changes to it. And so, yeah, more like streamlined the rules, I would say. Yeah. And like cut things that felt unnecessary out of the game. Um, Because, yeah, I think when you first start, like it's very easy to just add a lot of things in Um, because people think like, yeah, like the bigger and more complicated this is, the better. But I think a lot of what it is in like refining the game is cutting out a lot of rules and really making sure that you're whatever you're adding um, adds to the play. And it's not just like this random little extraneous rule. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also designing for your players, not just designing for yourself. And I feel like sometimes as, as creatives, as designers, we do things to self-indulge. We do things to make us seem clever or to make us seem, you know, something when it maybe takes away from the overall gaming experience. It's so important just to realize which is which, right? And you bring up a really good point as far as watching to see what strategies players are doing, which cards they're using, which ones they're not using, because you can learn a lot just by watching that behavior. You know, and, and I feel like so often we get too caught up in the feedback at the end of a playtest session. Hey, did y'all have fun? What do you think of it? I, I, honestly, I'm to a point like I, I don't really care. I mean, I can tell if you had fun while watching. You know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm, you know, um, maybe if I'm not at the table, then yeah, I need to, to ask that question. But uh, in general, I can watch people's faces. And I can you know see their body language and stuff like that to tell it was this an enjoyable experience. And so a lot of times, I'm not even worried about feedback at the end. I'm just worried uh, about taking notes about the the behavior. What strategies did the players take to try to win? Why, you know, and I'll ask that question. Why did you do X, Y, and Z trying to win? Oh, okay. Cause you didn't actually understand the cards you were playing that that wasn't actually going to help you. Okay. I need to clarify those cards. I need to write the rules a little bit better. And so a lot of times, you know, asking those questions is, is, is going to get you better information than the generic, Hey, was it fun? And what would you change? I'm not interested in that stuff. Um, personally at this point. And so, you know, I think like you're saying, just watching players behavior and figuring out, okay, that card's never used. Let's just take it out of the game. And that makes the game cheaper and easier to manufacture on it. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's excellent. Yeah. Something that we were, that we really considered when we were watching play tests back or when we were playing with people um, is that like, yeah, like there are certain cards that came up where people weren't yeah interested in playing them or like we have, at the end of your turn, you're supposed to discard down to the hand limit. And we noticed like there were certain cards that people would throw away more often than others. So we really took a closer look at that kind of stuff. Also within the potato parties, like we had like early on and stuff in play, I noticed that some of the potato parties were very eventful. And then some of them were really kind of just like, oh, we've played down the potatoes and this person won. Um, And that wasn't the feeling that we were trying to achieve out of those. So I think we've tweaked that a lot 
to make sure that the feeling that we want players to walk away with is the feeling that they're getting. Awesome. Well, Jess, Steph, really appreciate y'all's time. Really appreciate y'all joining me here on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter campaign and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gabe. We really appreciate you having us on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?